you're listening to the New Paris Podcast. The last time we spoke about innovation in Paris was last year, in the run-up to the presidential election. Now that Emmanuel Macron has been in office for nine months, I wanted to revisit the discussion and look at the state of startup culture, the creative scene, and business development today. Lending their knowledge on the subject are Liam Bogar and Abby Klein. Liam was born in Silicon Valley, literally, uh, and has been actively engaged in the French tech scene since 2010. As the founder and editor of Rude Baguette, France's leading startup blog, he covered the world of fast-growing technology companies in France. Then as brand director of Algolia, he helped solidify and scale brand awareness for one of the fastest-growing startups to come out of French tech. Abby Klein is the creator and producer of Radical Departures, a podcast which highlights innovative men and women contributing to France's thriving startup ecosystem. Abby and Liam, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Lindsay. Uh, I think we should just get right to it. We're all sleeping a little bit more soundly since Emmanuel Macron took office, uh, at least most of us anyway. Uh, and and that's great. And there's a lot of positivity surrounding his, his uh, tenure. However, I want to talk specifics. How do you both see his presidency shaping the tech and startup world based on the promises he made during the campaign and what we know about his engagements? Oh, I'm happy to jump in on that one. Go for it. Um, so I think if you look at the first year of any president uh, or, or, or leader of a country, um, you see a lot of showmanship and, and a lot of sort of setting the tone. Um, we saw it with Barack Obama, both terms. Uh, we saw it with Justin Trudeau. His first year was basically a world tour of look how awesome I am. And it, <laughs> and it works really well. Um, I think France has been very quick to jump to judgment uh, on Macron based on the fact that he's been spending a lot of time setting the tone. But if you look at the impact it's had, I mean, you only need to read The Economist or or, or, yeah. or, or listen to the FT podcast or BBC World News to see that France's relationship with the world has changed, which is really cool. Drastically. But, but to jump into the question... Um, more specifically, um, having Emmanuel Macron as president is a very good wake-up call for the French tech community because up until his election, uh, the French tech scene was mostly the outsider trying to get someone's attention. Um, and and an, a, a lot like, let's say, Nazis in the United States, now we're kind of front and center. Um, <laughs> we're very much, the French tech scene is very much uh, 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 the shushu. The of Emmanuel Macron. He, he, he built this thing, he carried it, he went to CES with a beard and it was awesome and all this fun stuff. Uh, but now the, the French tech scene has to evolve. Uh, in the last eight weeks, I have talked with the person who was supposed to lead the CENUM, one of the, peop- one of the presidents of France Digital, one, uh, uh, the, the former director of the French tech, and they all have the same issue, which is, uh, and, and even people who work in the embassies abroad, whose job was to help export and import, they all have the same problem. Now that he's president, what's our role? Which is a really interesting problem uh, to have because there's a really good opportunity to step it up. Uh, and, and to go bigger even than any country is doing right now. And that concern of theirs comes because within the government, that role is not being made clear enough? Or No, I think it's just because a lot of the goal, a lot of the job before for the French tech was advocacy inside mm. the government. Uh, uh, in, in 2012, when, uh, when France Digital launched, it was about ex- putting numbers behind what the digital economy meant. Uh, employment numbers, revenue numbers. And in the first year, they said the combined size of the startup ecosystem in Paris is the same as one of the CAC 40. And that was that made an impact. That actually got the attention of the government. And they said, oh, so now we have a CAC 41. Oh, that's very that's very interesting. Mm. Uh, and, and so now that's been done. 
there, there really isn't a need to evangelize that tech is important. We're in, in a global sense, we're beyond that. And so I think it's a really interesting opportunity for the tech ecosystem to say, if, if we don't have to do that, what's the next step? Hmm. And Abby, how do you feel about Macron's promises versus what you've seen so far in terms of concrete action? Um, I think in general, it's been pretty positive. I think one thing in particular, the French tech visa that he's put in place is really great. Um, we've talked to a lot of people, uh, smaller startups here who have been hiring from abroad and using that program. And it, I was very uh, skeptical at first. Um, I'm on the same visa that that makes easier to get, mm -hmm. apparently. Um, and like what we've heard so far is really positive, that it's made a big difference. It's a lot easier to hire talent from abroad. Um, it's easier to come here as a founder. So I think that's a really positive, concrete step. We'll see how it continues. Um, and Liam, I think it's interesting what you said. What do we do now? Now that we have that, like they have to find a way to to continue the momentum without needing to evangelize anymore. What, how, how do you think that that I mean, what, what I give you a, a really weird comparison is um, uh, when I was still running Rude Baguette, I kept trying to get NASA to come to this hardware conference because I thought it'd be really interesting to talk about space exploration. I swear I'm coming back to the French tech. Um, <laughs> and I asked them, what do you think about SpaceX, Blue, SpaceX, uh, Blue Origins, all these space companies? And he said, this is fantastic. Um, I don't know if you guys know, but one of NASA's biggest offices is in Paris. Um, it's like their, it's, it's no. their like unofficial European headquarters, and it's the oldest office they've had outside the United States, I hmm. believe. You can fact check me on that internet. Um, and so I was talking with one of the guys who who runs the European uh, office, uh, and he said basically now that people are doing uh, low Earth orbit and and the stuff that we saw uh, this past week is evidence, NASA doesn't have to do that anymore. We can focus on the bigger things. And so the cool thing, it kind of works the same way. Now that the government understands this base level, tech is important, it's chaining every single economy, including the government's function, it, there's an opportunity both for the government to push the barrier and go to the next level, which is e-residency, uh, uh, a digital run economy, taking the project that was the, the, the tax website en peau.gouv.fr and saying, why isn't every function of the government run the exact same way, mm. right? And there's also an option, an opportunity from the private economy to say, now that we don't have to spend all our time having regulatory debates, because there's very much a regulatory cohesion, and, and we're seeing with the, the new German coalition government that they're trying to get signed, uh, the, the, the coalition that has been formed is very much pro-Macron. By bringing in the SPD, they have a very pro-Macron, which means that a lot of what he's been talking about on a European level will also be able to get done. Uh, and so all of that creates a really good opportunity to, to sort of push the barrier and say, if all of this, if all of the things that we've been trying to fight for, we get, what do we fight for? Well, so the question is, will these companies and will these, these organizations rise to the challenge? And how do they scale from exactly. here? Well, like cool, a business. Well, the right. cool thing is that you don't necessarily have to scale. You don't have to scale like a business, right? So on the one hand, like we have more great tech companies in Paris than any year I've ever seen. Um, I mean, we've got Ledger that just raised $60 million, and they're basically the only brand in the cryptocurrency space that is identifiable other than Coinbase and, and, and Ethereum, which is technically a brand. Um But but and then you've got Algolia, a company that I, I worked for for 18 months, which is amazing. But they're not even alone. Uh, those founders come from Exilead, and, and Exilead employees have built 20 companies that are all Series B funded and and, and killing it. Uh, and so the, the the those things are scaling up. 
However, the French tech doesn't need to be a hundred people to make ten times as much uh, uh, impact as they as mm. like an, an agency doesn't need to hire more people. They just need to be bigger, right? And so, if you look at like the enabling a, a side of the ecosystem, the government doesn't have to get bigger to have more impact. Just has to be strategically focusing on the right thing. So the question really is, what should France Digital, the the Conseil National Numérique, and uh, the French tech? Uh, agency that runs it be thinking about now that it doesn't have to convince people that tech is important. And and that really raises an interesting option. Um, what about reshifting the financial center of Europe to uh, Paris and away from London with Brexit? Well, that's well, already happening, isn't it? That's already on the table with London leaving, but it's not necessarily a given that it's going to be Paris. However, if we've got fintech companies that are doing amazing things, and if we make cryptocurrency feel like fintech and start pulling the center of gravity here by saying, look at all the things we're doing with cryptocurrency and Bitcoin, look at all the things we're doing with fintech, then there's an opportunity to actually rewrite that conversation uh, and create a more France-centric Europe in a more France-centric world. However, what uh, has been put into place, aside from maybe a less burdensome tax imposition for investing in companies, uh, a more liberal approach to hiring and firing, you know, are there still more things to be done from a an employee and human resources perspective to make sure that these companies can flourish and grow? I think only time will tell how impactful the initial measures are. I can tell you I have personally benefited from those measures. Um, and, and I know a lot of other people who have. And there's something really simple. Um, they made severance pay uh, uh, non-taxable. That's an, um, th- that changes a lot. Huge, if, you look, yeah. if you understand the core issue in French employment, one, which is no one ever quits. You, you fight and both sides are fighting and everyone's unhappy and then you're just trying to walk away feeling like you won. They've turned it into a dialogue-centric approach, which is if you guys can come to an agreement, both people win. One person doesn't have to go to the court and the other person doesn't have to pay taxes on whatever they get. Well, the other element to that is this history of handholding in French companies. Mm. So now all of a sudden you have perhaps a more Anglo-Saxon approach Mm. wherein the employee is not expecting everything and anything from the the employer, uh, which I think is it's about time. I think, you know, this is a, a very socialized system and there's a lot of great benefits of being in a social system. However, feeling um or acting sort of assisté and and that someone's mm-hmm. always going to be there to hold your hand and you know and that somehow the company owes you something i think a lot of that will change as more and more young people enter the workforce and and believe that being an entrepreneur is cool and working for startups you know they want they want mobility they want to be able to leave jobs and go somewhere else and try something new they don't want to stay necessarily in a city at one company for their whole career or for 20 years, mm-hmm. um, they want to be able to move. And so, like you said, it will take time. I think that's just a natural progression type thing. And they'll go abroad, they'll work abroad, they'll see more of you know that Anglo-Saxon culture. Exactly. They'll come back and they'll implement it here. I think sweeping change doesn't look good in a press release. Um, I, 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 I think the stuff that looks really sexy, the measures that are passed... Like we saw, it, like here's a really good example. Uh, Sarkozy passed the auto entrepreneur status and yeah. everyone now knows that it was about masking unemployment. Yeah. We, we know that that's why he did it. Anyone who was an auto entrepreneur wasn't on unemployment. And so they encouraged people to get off one and onto the other. And it artificially lowered numbers so he could try to run for reelection. Worked really well. Um, however, now they have made it infinitely easier to be an auto. I don't know. Are either, oops, excuse me. Are either of you an auto entrepreneur? I am indeed. <laughs> and it's super. It's super easy now, right? It is super easy, it's, and it's it's getting better. They're you know they they raised the cap on earnings and all that, so it's it's easier. But 
Well, this is this is another conversation, I think. But continue. I guess so. My point is just to say, um, impactful change is neither popular nor does it look good on a press release or in the paper. It's it's making the changes that are going to enable people to to think differently about the things that have become uh, blockades uh, socially. And I and I think he's doing that. I think one by one he's ticking the boxes. 2018 is going to be a big year. He's had, he will have had his full year coming up in a couple months and there will be a lot to be said about what's been done in one year, but he's also unimpeachable and has four more years and he's basically a God. So what are you going to do? (laughs) Well, he's at least done one big thing, which was tackle the the labor code, uh, which was the untouchable, Hmm. you know, Herculean effort that no president wanted to have anything to do with he definitely touched it i don't think he he hasn't solved it that is not like a solvable in but he put his finger on it right I, He's he touched literally it. has touched it <laughs> um which which is already more than most presidents have done um and that wasn't very popular was it no no but, but his popularity rating came back within you know a month or right, two because months, it's something right? that people realize right. needs to be done which right. is the exact opposite of what happened with Hollande, which is he kept trying to please everyone and everyone got angry at him because nobody got what they want and still people make fun of him today and mm-hmm. he's not even there anymore oh he's there he's at station f mm-hmm. you can see him you can see him twice a week or on in afternoons when well, i don't know what his work schedule is but it's he's there <laughs> you don't know his office hours i do <laughs> i'm just not gonna i just don't want to share it publicly uh just as a as an aside what is he doing there promoting innovation all of a sudden he's he's, got a, he's, he's got added this he's got a thing innovant innovant i don't he's got a thing he has a foundation ev- there right yes. doesn't every ex-president have, have a, a foundation. library a foundation of course and uh, a house in the he, in the countryside right? i will say for all on though he did put in place the bpe which is pretty great yes that's the the uh, public french public bank investment yes. bank right we, and how startups get a lot of their money yes um BP is a whole different. I mean, so BPI is is much better than Ozio and all the other things that sort of became that were before the system of getting grants and 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 uh, public backed uh, fundraising was was a pain in the ass before. BPI has its own issues, which is it's essentially two different things in inside the same, and it's very frustrating. Oh, that for, sounds like Ursaf and RSI. Oh. Anyway, sorry, that was an, that was an administrative <laughs> why would you joke. Even, why would you even say those three letters? <laughs> but this is an interesting segue. Um, as you've documented, uh, I believe, you know, when, when Rude Baguette was the thriving... Back in the day. ...source. Yeah. Um, Eons ago. You know, you, you, you definitely documented the amount of movement in this industry or in this scene. Um, so we know that there's a lot of support. There's certainly fundraising and a lot of growing, uh, a lot of opportunities for people both from abroad and within France. So that sounds really good and it sounds very positive, but what is this system lacking and what are its pain points? If you were to identify room for improvement, what, what do you think that might be? I think it's a brand image problem. I mean, I think fundamentally, when you have conversations with people about France, depending on the words you use to start that conversation, you are going to run into uh, different reactions. If you ask about what people think of French engineers, they're brilliant. If you ask people what they think about French food, it's delicious. Have you ever tried it? It's terrible. Most, Most French food... You go to oh, the, you're Brasserie, to the wrong person. The yeah. Brasserie <laughs> du Gardenau. There is very. Have you ever had any good Japanese food in Paris yes. ever? Once in the thirteenth. Yeah. 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 No, yeah. in the first. Okay. So there, there is a good. There are a good amount of things that that are perception versus reality or opinion. Apparently, um, 
I, I love French food. It's infinitely better than everywhere else, but sometimes it's shit. Um, they, however, it, it all comes back to what you ask. If you ask people about what it's like working in France, oh, you hit the wrong word. You're talking about labor, right? But if you talk about innovation, if you talk about high-speed rails, and if you talk about the first electric car built by the Renault brothers in 1897, yeah. people suddenly get really excited about that. But when you talk about hiring, it, I, I always found it really ironic, and this was something we talked about a lot on the Rude Baguette. If you ask any entrepreneur what their number one problem is, it's hiring the best talent. You ask anyone what they think about France, they're like, ah, it's hard to fire people. And you're like, well, that's not your problem, is it? Your problem is going from 30 to 300. Ledger just went from 30 to 90 people in six months. Two-thirds of the employees have been there less than six months. They don't have a problem with firing. I mean, they may eventually, but their, their problem is finding the best people. And it's hard to attract the best people when they think nasty thoughts about your, the country that you're trying to bring them to. Abby, what, what, uh, what are the other elements that well, could be at play? I agree about the brand image. Bureaucracy is the word, right, that people associate with France. And while they should, um, I think a major pain point that we've heard on the podcast from a lot of startups is working with corporates still. Um, it's a super slow moving process. And it's a killer for a lot of startups because they don't have six months to wait to close a deal. Um, they don't have the time to be going to, you know, a round of four to eight meetings uh, to to get that that contract, and you're talking specifically about investors. No, no, about working with corporates. Like, about making- yeah, working with Orange or Airbus or exactly. Okay. Let's okay. not yeah, name names, or- but really Orange. Uh, <laughs> just everyone's. I wasn't going to do that, but okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I often just tell people let those companies continue to exist or die and don't work with them or whatever it well, is. Well, right, they have to innovate from within, right? Or they have to die. Like no one's trying to work with HP. They're just slowly chopping it up and selling it off for parts. No one's trying to work with Yahoo in America. But I mean, making a deal with a big corporate like Orange could mean you know. A huge break for a startup but they often don't have that time to wait i don't i don't think it does and i and and that's kind of the point like in the in the silicon valley if you said yeah we've been trying to close a deal with yahoo for six months people would be like mm, whatever like vcs don't care about that i think it's more about changing the culture of people of assuming that closing a big deal that has a big ticket on it is a good thing maybe when so it, i'm just thinking money wise it can mean a lot having having one customer and being a company looks a lot like uh being a consultant and having one client when you're just uh, starting out, though. It's honestly, like, from a from my perspective, it's more toxic to focus on trying to sell, especially into the cat gallon, but really just trying to sell into big companies immediately and going through that process. Unless you know the industry and know what you're doing is long sales cycles and, and enterprise software, it's really it's really a trap. So maybe you're right that it's changing the culture of that. Exactly. That I, I, think so. it's, I think it's letting Orange go do its thing. Or I'm using Orange as a construct for, for all, all big companies that are slow to innovate. Uh, whoops. Um, sorry. You heard it here first. Um, but I, I think it's just letting those companies do their thing and figuring out themselves how, the, how startups can help them as opposed to trying to constantly be like, you've got a lot of money, we don't have a lot, but we have innovation and you don't have any, can we change innovation for money? But there's this whole trend now about, you know, intrapreneurs and changing how corporate culture works here and trying to innovate from within. I'm skeptical too, but this is a thing that is popular now. In Europe. In France. There's a lot of open data agencies and places like that, you know. Yes. So what about hiring top talent? Because you said yourself you have a lot of people who have been within companies for a short amount of time, but have they spent enough time in other successful startups to bring that, you know, more senior level knowledge to inform the employee base of these startups? So one of the first companies where I ever saw Silicon Valley talent moving to Paris um, since I got here was Critio which is not a very sexy company, 
Um, Can you tell us what Critio does? They're the ones who made it so that when you go to Amazon and then you leave, that Amazon follows you with ads for the next like hour and a half. So we know who to write our hate letters to. Sounds pretty nefarious. Right. It's okay. Apple's killing their business because they just made it impossible to do that on the iPhone. Um, so that that should be okay. Um, but Critio was the first people I saw bring mobile advertising people from Palo Alto to Paris. They brought execs out here. And the execs, I asked them, why did you come out here? And they said, because this is the place to be for the industry that I'm in. And so it only takes one company to attract that type of talent. The interesting thing that I noticed, so in, in uh, Algolia, we have people from, or they have people from uh, about 19 different countries, I think, in their Paris office alone. Um, so we've got people, we, our, our head of security is Czech and moved from Finland to Paris to, to work there uh, a few years ago, right? Uh, we've got an Italian engineer, we've got a Slovenian engineer, I'm from America, there's Brits, there's everyone. Uh, and, it's, uh, and a lot of it is because the company was global from day one. Uh, they're targeting a community that's global inherently, which is developers, which means getting and being visible to them is very easy. And when you look at someone and go anywhere in Europe and you go, you want to come live in Paris and be well paid and work on tech? It's really not a hard sell. Mm. The, so they're paid as handsomely as they might be if we're talking about Californians. No, I, no, that no, would be silly. Right? Would, but, but they also don't have to deal with all of the things that go with being in California, which, like it or not, is part of America. With. Well, like getting healthcare and all <laughs> right. that Right, or stuff. commuting four hours a day in, sure. in, in, on the 101 every single day, or just having to Uber, or just dealing with like an insane amount of social, social divergence. The, uh, the quality of life here really does balance out that lower salary, for a lot of people anyway. I, have no, I think I make an insane amount of money. I, 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 I know that's silly, especially for someone Do who's, tell. who's currently unemployed. But I th- one <laughs> unemployment in France, genius. Um, but no, it's just for what you pay for, you get so much more bang for your buck. Absolutely. I have no problem with the amount of money that the, I cost my company versus the net versus the brute, which having two numbers was the stupidest idea ever. Whatever. The money that comes in my bank account is nice and the advantages that come with it are fantastic. As long as you're happy with that. That's fair. So to, so one of the things that I like about companies like Algolia, and they're not by far the only one, is they basically go, we're going to look at the market, and we're going to look at your profile, and we're going to pay you something that we think will convince you not to go anywhere. Mm. That's that's it. If and, only more companies right. and they, opted for that right. approach. But if they don't, and then they don't get good talent, and then those other companies do... It's then just things, a repeated cycle. They're it, just constantly losing people. It's just, it's just out with the old and in with the new. Well, I can tell you, as someone who works for herself and is not an auto-entrepreneur, it's not always that easy to balance the the checkbook and make sure I'm not getting no, taxed. France, France isn't built for for freelance people. No. You right. are, you get crushed if you don't have it. Like my uh, my fiance has an author status as a translator, yeah. which is basically all the advantages of having a CDI without having to have a regular income every month, and it's the bomb. Um, but for everyone else, it's kind of terrible. What you can't see is him sort of shrugging and looking at me like, oh, I'm right there with you, right. <laughs> um, before we go, because this has been the fastest episode I think I've ever recorded, we still have some time. I want to get to this last question, which is, what do you think are some of the issues that aren't being discussed when we're talking about startup culture in France, when we're talking about innovation, the government's role or not their role? Is there is there something we still have not discussed? Is it is it this idea that... Um, you know, we, you just addressed talent as and the source of talent not being as big an issue because clearly, you know, these companies are pulling people from all the right places. Is it about policy? You know, what where should the conversation be going? 
Um, I think one of the main things, it does get talked about a bit, and it probably will more, is failure. And, you know, the French are allergic to failure. Yeah. The concept of having this CDI that you stay in forever. And, you know, even if they want to innovate, they want to be different, they want to move, they're really afraid to let go of that, you know, safety. And it's totally understandable that's in the culture. But I think getting really comfortable with the idea of failure, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you're going to fail. And that's okay. You can learn. You can start again. Um, this is something that we encounter on our on radical departures all the time. People who have started companies, they've failed, they've tried again. You know, they're maybe succeeding now, maybe they're failing now. That's okay. But I think as a society and as you know, French tech becomes more and more entrenched here, failure is going to have to get more comfortable for mm. more people. I mean, this is battling centuries. Of, I know. Of I don't think it's centuries. How long has France really been socialist? Were they socialist in like 1913 when Hemingway was getting drunk in the sixth? When 19, whatever. Yeah, but if you look at the wars and their their ambitions for grandeur, they failed and it's followed them. Right. And so, that, that, but I, I, so I don't looking, know that that's necessarily where it stems from, but there's this cultural uh, aversion to risk. Yes, exactly. Because there's of a failure. generational aversion to risk, which is everyone who was born from parents who survived World War II. Uh, and even those people who did just wanted shit to calm down for a little bit. Am I not supposed to say shit? You can say shit. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, and, and so honestly, like pre Mitterrand and even pre De Gaulle and pre World War II, it wasn't a very risk adverse place. They were doing great. I mean, it was literally the golden era was here. People came. Benjamin Franklin came here. Like I, I think that. Um, France got a kick in the balls a couple of times, or in actually, I guess since Lady France is a female in the in the, in the groin, um, and, and and didn't and kind of said, you know, we're going to step away from this whole uh, conquering the world thing. But I think those are two different things. No, Attracting Benjamin Franklin and the Thomas Jeffersons and all of these these individuals is separate from this feeling of of risk. Right. All I'm saying is that that fear of risk isn't that old. It's very new. If you read, if you read textbooks pre World War II or even pre World War One, it's a very ambitious country. And so, yes, it's the result of hundreds of years of trying and failing and not wanting to get that burnt. But it's also there's still a risk. Like I, the first thing I learned when I came to France is I learned about Napoleon in a completely different way than French people learned about Napoleon. They're like, this guy was badass. He went a little too far, and he paid for it. But You're he was right. pretty bomb. And that is not what you learn no. a- anywhere else in America. Um, and it's not what German people look up, look at, learn about when they learn about their previous dictators and, and, and emperors Leaders, to be. Right. Um, and and so I think that I think there's a there's a dormant desire to crush everything and be amazing inside France, which is what I've always liked about this place. And I think there's just been like, basically since Mitterrand, there's been sort of like a, yeah, but what if we just let the waters be calm for a while? So it's a bit more measured. Yeah. Um, I also think we shouldn't be focused here. You know, we have this great, unique opportunity now. We shouldn't be focused on trying to build another Silicon Valley or trying to create a nation of unicorns. We have this opportunity to build, you know, a, a yes, a French tech ecosystem of successful, sustainable companies. And I think focusing on that and being comfortable with, yeah, okay, we'll fail a little bit, but we can also crush and be awesome and be totally different and something new. I think it's a great time to be here, to be working in this. So this is only going to continue. You think the evolution is... For at least two years. Why two? Because 
The macro tendencies of the economy suggest that there's going to be an economic <laughs> collapse in the next two years. Sorry, is that not something Let's I should positive. say? <laughs> think positive. I'm just That's saying. about as scary as the robot on Twitter that was going oh, yeah. around yesterday. Yeah, opening doors? Yes. Awesome. For those who haven't seen this terrifying yeah. image, who created that? A tech uh, company. Uh, Boston Dynamics, bought by Google, since, I believe, sold off by Google, or at least they're trying to. So this um, is an interesting harbinger of what's to come. Yeah. Uh, so according to you, this boom will last for about two years. And then we'll come back from it, but there's going to be a dip. And Abby, are there specific startups or companies that you're really excited about that you've seen emerge? I think Data IQ is a really cool company. They're doing super, super well. Liam can probably say better what they actually do. Um, but we interviewed uh, one of their sales vice presidents, and it's just a really exciting space. And I mean, France is known for having amazing math and science engineering talent, uh, and they're a great example of that. Yeah, Data IQ is amazing. Uh, so Data IQ is a, uh, another, their founder worked with the founders of Algolia before at, at this company, Exilead. Um, and uh, Florian is one of the smartest people I've ever met in my life. Uh, and they have a data science product. So basically all the big data things that people are talking about, you eventually have to look at it and do something with it. That's Data IQ. They handle that. Um, Interesting. And it's, they're amazing. And they're growing faster than Algolia is what I've been told, which is insane. And they're doing very well and they're flying under the radar for the most part. Um, so if, if people want to beef up on their, their tech knowledge and, and, and follow what's happening here on a more uh, daily basis, where would you suggest they look? Well, on a weekly basis, I would suggest they listen to Radical Departures. <laughs> <laughs> Shameless plug. Good plug. Uh-huh. I don't know. Should they just follow you on Twitter, Liam? <laughs> I, I, I'm loud. I don't know. You follow me on Twitter. I do. Do you, do you keep up to date with what's going on in the French tech scene through my ridiculous tweets? Sometimes they're long, but I feel like I get a sense of what you're, you know, powered up about. And that's exciting. I like that people are having exciting conversations and it means that there's something happening, which for Paris is huge. So what I'm liking is that a lot of the shifts that we've seen in food and in other cultural realms of Paris has really extended into innovation and tech. So this is super exciting. Absolutely. And clearly I need to have you guys on for an update every three to six months. I don't know. I mean, I think it probably changes even more than that. Yeah, until the apocalypse in 24 right. months. <laughs> and the robots. Right. Uh, but until then, uh, I want to thank you for joining. This has been super insightful and enlightening. And I realize how, how, mo how much more I need to learn about, about the tech scene. But you guys are my resources. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Everybody listen to Radical Departures podcast. Follow Liam on Twitter. What's your handle? At Liam Bogar. It's very simple. And I'll make sure that's in the show notes so you know how to spell everything. Uh, and until our next episode, please subscribe to The New Paris. You can also leave a review or share with a friend. And do send your questions or comments to New Paris Podcast on Twitter. Thanks very much and see you next time. <laughs>